Today's reading is coming from um, John 15, and um, it is verses 1 to 17 for those that have your Bibles here. And it's titled, The Vine and the Branches. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the world. word sorry, I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends, for everything that I've learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Thank you, Tim. Good morning. Well, it's very hard for me to get up and talk about John 15 without beginning by saying, I am divine, you are, you are the branches. Today I want to talk about that, who are we, kind of question. I want to talk about what our identity is and what our purpose is as the church. And we do that at the beginning of this missions month, when that's really part of the question we're always asking ourselves when we think about mission. Who are we and what is it that God has, us, has for us to do in the world? Now, of course, when Jesus turns to talk about that in this passage, it's not about me. All right? It's not about me. And it's not even, most of all, about you. And this really takes us to the very heart of this block of Jesus' teaching here in John 15, 1 to 17. 
When Jesus turns to talk about life, about what really matters with life, about what life is all about, about what we're here for, what our purpose is, Jesus begins by actually directing us away from any kind of focus or reliance upon ourselves, and instead he points us to himself as the source and the point of life. He talks about living in a dependent relationship upon him. And so as we heard just a moment ago in John 15 verse 5, Jesus declares, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We are, as you said, to be the branches, the branches of the vine and to be producing the fruit that God wants us to produce. Now, as I think about this, I'm reminded of one of the best-selling Christian books of all time, and that's Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life. Who's used Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life? All right, that is right up there with one of the kind of top 10 best-selling Christian books of all time. Probably might well be the best-selling Christian book written since uh, sort of 2000 and onwards. And uh, Warren begins that book by saying this. His book is about, what on earth am I here for? And he starts with this. It's not about you. Now, I have actually read this book in groups with people, and they've said the most incredible truth that we took out of this book, the most striking thing was that opening sentence. It's not about you. He goes on to say, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. The search for the purpose of life has puzzled people for thousands of years. That's because we typically begin at the wrong starting point ourselves. We ask self-centered questions like, what do I want to be? What should I do with my life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dreams for my future? But focusing on ourselves will never reveal our life's purpose. For the Bible says, it's God who directs the lives of his creatures. Everyone's life is in his power. Contrary to what many popular books, movies, and seminars tell you, you won't discover your life's meaning by looking within yourself. You've probably tried that already. You didn't create yourself, so there's no way you can tell yourself what you were created for. If I handed you an invention that had never been seen before, or that you had never seen before, you wouldn't know its purpose. And the invention itself wouldn't be able to tell you either. Only the creator or the owner's manual could reveal its purpose. Well, Jesus begins with a claim that life, the life that God has made us to live, is not found in ourselves, but in him. He says, I am the true vine, and my father, that is God, is the gardener. And he goes on to say that only as we are living in relationship with him, like being branches of the vine, will we find the life that we were made to live. But when Jesus stands up and says to his disciples, I am the vine, he's doing more than coming up with a kind of metaphor or uh, 
interesting illustration that's kind of pulled from the, the, uh, the, the scene of his day. You know, he was in a land where they had many vineyards and so on, so Jewish people grew up in the first century surrounded by lots of vineyards, and so it was a kind of a natural thing for Jesus to talk about. But uh, it's important for us to understand in understanding this passage that in the Old Testament and in the first century when, uh, when Jesus was around on earth, the vine was actually a really common symbol for the nation of Israel. So grapevines would appear in various settings, particularly on, say, coins and so on, that the, uh, Israelis had, the Israelites had produced. And the Jewish historian Josephus describes the temple, and in part of the description is that he talks about there being a really huge golden vine that was kind of uh, draping over one of the entrances to the temple. And apparently it had like clusters of grapes that some other writers were saying were about the size of a man hanging from this impressive structure. And Josephus talks about people being really amazed by this great uh, piece of artwork that was hanging there at the entrance to the temple in Jerusalem. And some writers say that when Jesus delivered this teaching in John 15, he and his disciples may either have been standing very near that golden vine at the temple, or perhaps looking on and seeing it in the moonlight of uh, what we know as the Easter moon, the Passover moon that was out at that time. Because at this point, at the end of John 14, we say they get up and they left the upper room and they're making their way out. So they may well have walked past the temple. There's this amazing golden vine. It's like the national coat of arms almost. If you've been to Parliament House in Canberra, you know at the entrance is that massive kangaroo and emu sort of stuck up there. You know, it tells us all about what it means to be Australian. We are like kangaroos and emus in some way. All right, well, there's uh, this golden vine at the temple, this great symbol of Israel. And the thing that, you know, one of the things that amazed people about the temple, and it's glowing there, and Jesus stands next to it, and he says to his disciples, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. I'm the genuine vine. He was actually claiming here that he was taking the place of Israel as God's representative in the world. Now, the nation of Israel was established by God and chosen by God so that it might be his witness in the world that as people looked at the nation of Israel, they were to see, oh, that's what God's like. God's just, God's merciful, God's righteous, God's pure. It was meant to be lived out by the nation of Israel. They were meant to be this vine that bore that kind of good fruit, fruit that testified to what God was like. But you know, as we read through the Old Testament time and time again, we see Israel failing to live up to that calling. Israel was not a good vine. It did not bear good fruit. But Israel failed as the vine. And now Jesus gets up and he says, I'm the true vine. I'm the genuine article. I'm it. I'm the one who will produce what God has wanted. I'm the one who will show the world what God is like. I will be the true witness. I am the true vine. And the Father is at work in and through him as the gardener. So Jesus is telling his disciples here 
that, hey, you know, the life that God has for you is not going to come from just being part of the nation of Israel. You're not going to find your purpose and your destiny in your heritage. Right? It's not a matter of where you're from or who you belong to. That's not where you're going to find the life of God. It's a message to us as well. Hey, it's not about the family that we're from. It's not about what our parents or our grandparents did. It's not about the nation we belong to. It's not even about the church that we're part of. Our identity, our purpose, our destiny is not in our heritage, where we have come from. It's about who we're connected to. Are we connected to the true vine? Because it's only as we're connected to him that we will bear fruit. The fruit God wants from us. The fruit that will last because it is the fruit of God. Fruit of the kingdom. Fruit that stays for all eternity. Jesus is saying, hey, life is found in me. Life is found in me. You'll discover God the gardener at work in and through me. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is the vine, the true vine. And only when we are like branches who are drawing life from him will we experience life as it's meant to be, will we express what God has made us to express. In short, we are really only living when we are living with Jesus. He is the true vine. Well, in verse 4, Jesus continues on this call to move away from any kind of self-centered focus and instead to center in him. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You know, it's like you can have the best smartphone in the world. I don't know, you a golden iPhone 10 or whatever it is, right? You can have the very best, but it's not much use if you're not connected to the internet, is it? You know? Well, maybe it's a phone, but that's not what we want them for. We want them for all sorts of other stuff. It's not much use unless it's connected. It's the same with us. Jesus says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. It's not the branch itself that bears the fruit. It's the branch that's remaining in the vine that bears the fruit. It's not who you are or who I am that's important. It's about you and me connected into Jesus. That's the crucial thing. That's where the fruit will come. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Now, to understand really what Jesus is talking about here, we need to unpack a couple of things. We have to understand what he means by fruit and what he means by remaining in, or the old language was abiding. All right, some of us know this passage more in terms of abide in me. Okay, abiding, remaining, it all kind of means just living there, living in that one. Okay, but I think to understand this passage, there are two key terms, fruit and abiding. Fruit is mentioned nine times in 17 verses, but it's never defined. 
And that's a bit frustrating, is it? So what do you reckon it is? Why don't you take a moment to turn to the person next to you and say what you reckon the fruit is in John 15? Go for it. This is a moment for you to move and say something and for me not to say something. So what do you reckon the fruit is? Some of you are just looking at me, you clearly, you got it all sorted, all right? You're sitting there, you're saying, it's grapes, we know it, right? It's not only grapes from a vine, is there? There's uh, kiwi fruit, grows on a vine, passion fruit, grows on a vine. Well, I don't think he's talking about any of that. Do you reckon you know what he's talking about? Give me a nod, do you reckon you know? Give me a, sh- a shake of the head if you're not too sure. Or just look straight ahead if you're saying, get on with it, right? I think you're saying, get on with it, all right, I will. I have here a piece of fruit. It is an apple, all right? It is not from a trillion-dollar tech company, all right? It's not an apple apple. It's just an apple, all right? Where does this come from? What kind of tree does it come from? Because there's gum trees. I'm not going to find this in a gum tree, am I? No? Need to find it on an apple tree, okay? If I was to eat a whole lot of this and then get to the core and pull out the seeds, go away, plant them, tend them really carefully, what would I grow? Okay, I'd grow an apple tree. Who wants an apple? All right, can you catch? You got it. That'll, that'll save me working out what to do with it. All right, so what does this tell us about fruit? It tells us a couple of things. It tells us that fruit is an expression of the tree. Okay, you get apples from apple trees. Apples are apple trees expressing themselves, aren't they? It's apple trees saying, here's what I'm all about. Here's my life. Here's my DNA. I'm an apple tree. All right? Fruit is a tree expressing itself. And fruit reproduces the tree. It extends the DNA, the character of the tree. So I think what Jesus is talking about in John 15 is he's talking about God flowing through him the true vine and to us the branches, and then God being seen in and through us as his life is expressed in us and reproduced in us. It's not we become God, we're not that. Jesus quite clearly wants to say, I'm this and you're that, right? He's not saying you become God, God-like too. What he's saying, or you become God's too, what he's saying is, God the Father works through me, and then as you depend on me, that, that life and character of God is then expressed in your life. It's expressed through you. And as God is at work through you, then God's life is reproduced in you, in other people who come to faith as we share with them, in a world that is transformed as we share the truth and grace of Jesus with it. So the fruit is those things. It's the expression. It's the, uh, the expression of the tree. It's the reproduction of the tree. Jesus says, it's, if you like, it's about God being seen, as I said, in and through us, 
And so Jesus says in verse 8, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So the bearing of the fruit has to do with showing that we are in relationship with Jesus, and somehow that brings glory to God. My shorthand way of understanding the word glory in the Bible is God on show. All right, God being seen for who God really is. That's glory. That's honor to God. This is bearing fruit. We are to live in such a way that God is seen in us and God's will is done through us in the world. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit, Jesus says. There'll be character change and there'll be impact on the world around us. Now, clearly for this to happen, we need to live in relationship with God. If God's life and character are going to go flow through us, change us, and out into the world, then we need to be connected to God. We need to be remaining in him or abiding in him. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's about relationship with God. Now, recently I was uh, at a church, and uh, over morning tea after the service, a, a guy came up, I'd never met him before, and he just came up and said, hello, here he was. And then he said, do you... Know about abiding. That's what you talk about over morning tea, isn't it? So he says to me, do you, do you know about abiding? And I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know a bit. But I got the sense that I wasn't supposed to give him an answer. I was supposed to say, oh, no. Why do you? And he wanted to tell me a story. And so he told me a story about how he abides. And it was actually a story about him having really intense kind of mystical experiences that, that in a sense lifted him up from normal life and onto a higher spiritual plane. And from this higher spiritual plane where he was abiding, he would be able to see all these extraordinary things and have these kind of weird experiences. That, he said, is abiding. Now, I'm not closed to God doing unusual things, all right? I think sometimes God does signs and wonders, and they leave us wondering and amazed, all right? I'm very open to those kind of things. But I don't think that kind of mystical elevation is what Jesus is talking about in John 15 when he talks about abiding. Because when we look at verse 7, we see Jesus talking about two things that are actually quite kind of down-to-earth, and we might think even kind of ordinary in a way. He talks about his words, and he talks about prayer. His words and our prayers. And that's what he links in with abiding. And what he tells us is that we are to let his words abide in us or remain in us. And that doesn't mean memorize them, although that's a good thing if we memorize the word. But I think what it means is that we're not just hearing Jesus and reading Jesus' teaching. We're actually, as we would say, taking it in. All right? We're letting it get into us and uh, kind of take root in us and grow in us and shape us. We are being transformed by this word that is in us. So it's, like I said, it's not just learning the word, it's actually living the word, right? So this truth becomes, you know, the truth for us, 
and then we live it out. As Jesus said numbers of times, you know, it's not just being hearers of the word, but doers of the word. You think of the parable of the wise and foolish builder and so on in Matthew 7, where he says, you know, it's not just about hearing his word, but about doing what it says. That's putting the foundations down that you build a life on that stands in the stressful times. Well, that's the same kind of thing here. It's about letting the word remain in you. So it's taking it in, letting it soak in, letting it, you know, begin to transform us and then living out of it. So that's part of what it means to abide. And the other part of it is he talks about prayer. And I think this is about as we are seeking to live out this word. We know we're not just doing this by ourselves, but we're going to rely upon God as well. And so we open ourselves and our lives and our world up to God in prayer. So these are two ways, if you like, of living in relationship with God. We take the word of Jesus, we say that is the truth, and then we rely on God to help us to live it out, to be his people. So this is abiding. And uh, what, what we're told here then is that we're to be following Jesus, and we're to be doing that with dependence upon God. And if we do that, then we are living the life that we are called into and the life that God wants us to live. And that will bear fruit, that will show evidence that God is at work in and through this person. They're living the word and they're living it in reliance upon God. So remaining in him means these things. And then Jesus develops this a bit further in verses 9 through 17. And uh, in this part of his teaching, he pushes the focus in particularly on living in love. So the first part, verses 1 to 8, is like a general statement. We are to live this life that is a life of obedience to the word and dependence upon God. That's a general kind of thing. Then Jesus narrows it down in the second part, 9 to 17, where he puts the focus on living in love. And that's not surprising because love is God's supreme characteristic. John, in his first letter, 1 John, says God is love. 1 John 4, 8, I think it is. And uh, here what we see then in Jesus is that he was full of grace and truth, doesn't he? John talks about that as well. We have seen his glory. We've seen God at work in and through Jesus, and it looked like grace and truth, grace and faithfulness being lived out. So we see this in Jesus, and what we see is then that if we are followers of Jesus, if we're depending upon Jesus, if we're obeying Jesus then we will produce love. And we will love people because that is what God is about. If you like, God fruit looks and tastes like love. You know, that apple looks and tastes, hopefully, like an apple. All right? God fruit looks and tastes like love. Because it's from God. It's got the life of God in it. So Jesus tells us here that if we are to live a fruitful life, we need to be loving. And he actually talks about a bit of a chain of love or a cascade of love, if you like, because it's really abundant, the kind of love he's talking about. We almost can imagine like a waterfall where it comes down at the first level and then it overflows the pool and it goes down another level and another level. It's that kind of picture that Jesus gives us in John 15, 9 and following. He, uh, he talks about, he begins with the love that God the Father has for him. 
And then he says this amazing thing, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So Jesus begins here by saying, let me take you right into the heart of the Trinity of God. And there is love. The Father loves the Son. But it's not a closed circle. There's an overflow out of that. And Jesus says, you know, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Isn't that astonishing? You know, it's one thing to think of the Father and the Son, you know, holy, awesome beings, incomparable in all the universe, and they share a love relationship. It's a massive stretch, isn't it, to think, as the Father has loved me, that's how I love you, Jesus says. And he says, you know, I don't call you my slaves or my servants, You're not just workers who work for me. I call you my friends because you're in relationship. You're not just on the workforce. You're in the family. You're friends. You've got an intimate relationship with me. I tell you stuff. I show you special stuff. I love you deeply like the Father loves me. But then, you know, that love, as we see in the Father-Son relationship, it spills over to us. The love that Jesus is talking about isn't just for me or for you. But it's a love that overflows. So it's come cascading down from the Father, the Son, to us, his friends, and then it's to spill out to others. And so he says, you know, As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. You know, I've shown that love in things like greater love has this, you know, uh, no greater love than this, that someone would lay down their life for their friends. He's laying down his life for us and so on. But then he also says, hey, you know what? That love that you've received, that love that pours into you from me, that's to overflow to others. Here's my command. Here's what it's all about. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the fruit that I want to see in your life. Love one another. Love one another. So you see the, the, the chain here, the overflow that's going on. Father to son, to us, to one another. And church, from one another to world. That's what mission's all about. We are the beloved, but we are to be loving. Let's not just stick with being the beloved. Let's remember the call to be loving, to bear fruit, fruit that will last, to show the love of God in the way we relate to one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, it's fruit. But it's love that also takes us out into the world to give the world an understanding of what God is like. We live in a world where people think God is judging. If they believe in God at all, they think of some kind of distant, judging, angry kind of God God maybe who gives you what you deserve. God uh, God who helps those who help themselves. All that sort of thing, right? It's all rubbish, isn't it? We know that because we know God. Well, we're meant to bear fruit. We're meant to show what God is like so that people pick us up. It's like picking up an apple. They say, hey, here's a Christian. This one must come from Christ. 
Christ must be like this one or those ones. He must be loving because look how they love one another. He must be loving because they love me even though I don't deserve it. We show the world the love of God. We reproduce the love of God in our interactions with the world. That's fruit. That's overflow of relationship with God. This is living. This is what we were made for. As I say, we don't love people or love one another in order to earn God's love, but because we know God's love already. We are the beloved, so let us be love in. So it's love in, love out. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. Love in, love out. Jesus in, Jesus out. Life in, life out. That's bearing fruit. That's abiding and bearing fruit. This is the meaning of life. It's what we're here for. Folks, let's not settle for less. Let's not think life is really all about looking after ourselves and doing it by ourselves. We are invited to live in relationship with the living, loving God. That's amazing. And we are invited to live with him day by day, sharing intimate relationship with him, not just living for God, but with God, which is even richer, isn't it? Not just for him, but with him, experiencing the joy of God working in and through us. That's what Jesus talks about. He says, I've got this great joy I get to do. My life is all about doing the will of my Father. And that's a joy for me. And I want you to have that joy. And for you to have it in all its fullness and to completeness. And the joy comes from living in the love of God and living out the love of God. This is what we are called to do, to experience God and to express God in the way we live. This is our mission. This is our purpose. And Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you. So I've given you a task so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. It's an invitation to life with God. It's an invitation to live for God. It's a call to mission. Over the next uh, month, we're going to be hearing stories from various people who in various places and various ways are seeking to do these things that we're thinking about today. They're trying to live out the love of God. To do the words of Jesus and to do it relying upon God to help them. We're going to hear, I'm sure, some really good stories about all of that. But what's your story? And what's our church's story of mission? What's your life all about? Jesus is the true vine, the real source of life. The question is, what kind of branch are you? 
you're fruitful with Jesus or fruitless without him. Let's take a moment to pray and then we're going to gather around communion and think some more about this uh, love of God seen in Jesus. Let's just sit quietly though to pray for a few minutes or a minute or two. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you invite us to enter ever more deeply into that experience of being loved by you. And we thank you that you've given us one another and we pray that you would help us to love one another. Help us not just to get along well, but help us to really love each other, to give our best for each other and seek to bring out the best in each other. And Father, help us to be witnesses of your love in this community and in the different places we find ourselves through the week. We pray that you would help us to do the will of Jesus in those places. We pray for your strength and your grace to be at work in and through us. And we pray that we might be good fruit. Lord, that we would bring joy to you Glory to you, blessing to people around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Those who are going to uh, serve communion, please come and just sit along the front, perhaps while uh, we move into this time together. It's always easy to say God loves us, isn't it? But sometimes it can be difficult to believe it, that God is love, because uh, sometimes in our personal lives, we go through some stuff that's difficult, and we can think, why is this happening? Does God really love me? And sometimes we look at people around us and the world around us, and we see some pretty dreadful things going on, and sometimes to really innocent people who haven't really done anything to deserve anything different from what we get in life. And that can be challenging too. We can think, hey, you know, uh, is it true that God is love? So when I have those kind of times, what I do is I remember back to the cross of Jesus. And I, one of the things that the cross is, is really a statement for all time that God is love. It's like he's stuck his stake in the heart of history and said, here it is forever for all to see. I am love. And then we try to understand other things in the, in the light or the shadow of that cross. And so it's good as we come to communion today to, to remember again uh, that the cross is such a great expression, the supreme expression of the love of God. And John writes this, after he says, he says, God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins.
Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We love because he first loved us. I invite you as you receive the bread and the cup today to take this as a reminder of that truth that God loves you. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, so I love you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends, Jesus says. You're my friends. He's done this for us. So I invite you to take the bread and eat it and just individually when you receive it and that's a good time to say thank you for what Jesus has given to you and for you. And then we'll share the cup together as well and that that will uh, speak to us of the fact that this love that we receive is a shared love to be shared with one another and so we do it together to celebrate this love that is for us. So I invite you, as I say, when you receive uh, the bread or to eat the bread and then uh, hold your cup and we'll share it together. After they had eaten in the upper room, Jesus took a cup and he gave it to his disciples saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. The new covenant is about intimate relationship with God made available to us in and through Jesus. Let us drink and give thanks. Father, we thank you for your son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus the true vine. Would you help us, we pray, to keep on remaining in him. Help us to believe in him. Help us to take hold of his word, to be shaped by it and to live it out. Help us to do all that in the power and enabling of your spirit. And we pray that you would help us to live the fruitful lives that you have made us for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.